0: Hi and welcome to Steel Wheel Stories with your host Chris Jowett and Jake Somerville where we talk about stories of collecting, restoring, and showing antique tractors and steam engines built before 1930.
1: Join us while we and guests share stories about the hunt, tales of restoring, and memories of enjoying.
0: Steel Wheel Stories is proudly sponsored by Engineers and Engines Magazine,
1: a printed, Full color, bi-monthly magazine for all the steam, gas, tractor, railroad, locomotive, and farm machinery
0: enthusiast. Call or email Brenda Stant for your subscription today. Email address brenda at or phone number 410-673-2414.
1: Mention Steel Wheel Stories when purchasing and get your first magazine free.
0: Hi hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Steve Wheel Stories with your host uh, Jake Somerville and Chris Jodd as always. Uh, kind of similar to our last episode I guess we've just been real busy and uh, well for that reason uh, podcast is uh, a little bit later than normal but hopefully you're getting uh, stuff put away for the, for the summer here we'll get slowed back down and podcasting will be a little bit easier for us. Yeah, I, I hope so. Stuff
1: is winding down, that's for sure. I I basically have one show left for the year and I think that's kinda where you
0: set too, isn't it? Yeah, coming up uh <clears throat> near the end of September we got uh well I I guess I don't really know if it's a show. Um we were approached by uh, some folks from uh Monroe, Michigan, which is south uh southeast Michigan. They're doing a a little bit of a celebration for a battle that was down there. I, don't, I can't remember if it's the hundred year, the hundred and fiftieth years uh, of that. But essentially, the battle was over transportation through uh, the river that went through town, and uh, well, they're they're having a, a transportation celebration. So they they asked us to bring steam engines down. There's going uh, to be some folks with uh, some old cars. So There's going to be antique airplanes. Uh, the plan was for them to have the 1225 uh, locomotive, uh, you know, the, the locomotive from the Polar Express, which lives in Owasso Michigan. Uh, they were going to have that there, but unfortunately, some approvals from the the railroads that they they would have had to run on uh, <clears throat> some of that stuff didn't go through. Uh, so, yeah, unfortunately, that's not going to make it down there now. Uh, and then they're also going to have some uh steamboats there, so pretty well-rounded uh, little event. I oh, think yeah, it be might be neat. just a might just be like a one-time thing, but uh, yeah, we're looking forward to it. I think I think we'll have maybe six engines there, and going can take the dyno down there and uh, kind of play around with that for the day. And uh, I guess it's a, a Saturday and most of the Sunday type of an event or something, but yeah, that, uh, that should round out our our uh, our steam show season and stuff put away and start tinkering for the winter yeah that'll be pretty neat
1: well we've got a guest uh from australia this time and uh why we've uh, got started out here we're, we're recording this little intro separate from when we recorded the episode and i have to apologize somebody i'm not going to mention any names uh didn't hit the record button and and that was me uh so we're kind of starting out kind of <laughs> in the middle of uh who who we recorded with was Andrew Gibb. He's from Australia. He was telling us how his dad had gotten into steam and how he got started and all that kind of stuff. And I kind of caught it right in the middle of him telling us that. So it's kind of a weird starting out right off the bat. And, uh, then he'll just, you know, you, he'll get back into the flow of things or whatever, or, or we will, as we listen. Uh, but he was basically telling a story about how the first engine that his dad found and how he kind of got into the hobby. And then basically, he got into the hobby through his dad and, and all that kind of stuff. So, apologize for the little bit of technical mishap there on my behalf, but uh, I, it still turned out to be a really good episode, and I think everybody will enjoy it.
0: Yeah, I know. i I don't think people are going to be on us too hard for our, our technical disabilities just, just because we can't figure out how to make these episodes work <laughs> super well. But yeah. uh, we're going to keep we're going to keep trying and keep talking about sea engines and tractors. So <laughs> that's right. So,
1: well, guys, uh, enjoy this one. And uh, we'll look forward to the next
0: episode and go from there.
2: a four horse that's it's english horse now for your american friends there's probably about a 10 horse american you know buffalo Pitts portable so it was a, a clayton and shuttleworth but had been used on the farm for chaff cutting they got it second hand from a, it was a butter factory nearby got it new and then they ended up with it second hand and it did you know a bit of everything chaff cutting cutting wood but then it sort of you know, was a bit out of date so the front axle and wheels got taken off and used for a log jigger by would have been his dad, dad's dad, my grandfather, and and my great uncle for had a bit of a sawmill. So, when my dad and his brother and his cousin Lyle were um I don't know went in their teen early teens, they decided to put the front end back on it and got this old Clayton running. So that sort of got got them. It was a bit rough, but they got it running anyway. So that sort of got them into the full size stuff.
1: I see. I have to apologize. I forgot to hit the record button when we were first getting started, but I caught you about halfway through, so we'll kind of clip it in there or whatever, but <laughs> yeah, well, total brain fart like, here time. this morning. But anyways, <laughs> we'll just touch on real quick again that uh, we, so I'll just piece that back in at the beginning. I feel like an idiot for that, but
0: <laughs> <laughs> too early for you. <laughs> it was a little early. I was just looking down
1: and I was like, ah, oh, shit, they're going to freaking kill me over this deal <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so where, where do you want me to take off from? i'll just take back off anytime
2: mm-hmm. yeah okay yeah so the so that's how i was all all because of my dad yep so he got into the steam from that age and because um, he lived on a farm a cattle farm but they didn't really need um Weren't um, contracting or anything like that. I mean, by he, he was born in 39, so in the 40s. Yeah, the, he can still remember horses being used, um, mm-hmm. and they had a um Detroit Fordson, but he said that was pretty useless. It was really only good for driving anything off the belt.
0: Um, <laughs>
2: and then then the, the, the later E27N Fordsons, they had one of them, and that was a bit more useful. So, you know, in the 40s that transitioned out of the horses and and that. Tractors took over, so there's definitely no steam being used. But he, as a as a lad, there was a oh, they lived up a valley, and obviously the further you went up, got narrower, and there was more timber up there. So as a as a pup, he heard that they lived oh, I don't know four hundred metres from the from the road, the main road going up there, which is a, just a dirt road. But he heard this clattering and banging banging, and he he ran up to the road there and watched this old Foster, which is an English traction engine. Mm-hmm. Clatter and bang, was pretty knackered. It was built in eighteen ninety, and it, it um, was bought by someone with a sawmill. So they sort of drove it up the valley and dad, you know, that was the f- first engine he traction engine would have seen running. And then it, it turned out that um, he worked out that the oh, there's still a few engines, you know, parked up. And there was friends of the family lived oh, well, five mile away, say, um, and they had a little Fowler traction engine parked up there that. The, because what happened when the Second World War came along, a lot of the men uh, <clears throat> joined the forces and, and went. So that, not just the engine owners, but, you know, all of the, because uh, we'd, chaff cutting was used up to, pretty solidly up to the um, Second World War. There's so many horses being used. So when the war came along, um, a lot of the men joined and went overseas. So that sort of took away the workforce for the chaff cutting crew. So engines got parked up about that time and. So in 63, dad chased up this fowler that was sitting up the road and, and it turned out it had cut the, the saw on the timber that the house that dad grew up in. So it had a bit of a connection there.
1: Um,
2: so that's how, yeah, when dad got his first traction engine, it sort of started the ball rolling with the, with the big stuff.
1: Yeah. I see. It uh, it does seem like the English <laughs> engines are a little more present than the American engines or is it not that much divided? <laughs>
2: No definitely definitely the case so um yeah the English engines were coming in from you know pretty early on, like eighteen fifties there was oh, eighteen fifty six I think was the first traction engine to come to australia english um and yeah pretty much up to nineteen hundred was pretty much solidly English engines there was a few few cases of early north American stuff um like down in. Tasmania, because a lot of my researchers' knowledge is from boiler records, say, and in the Tassie boiler records, well, they had some wacky things down there, like a Sawyer Massey, um, a single-cylinder traction engine of 1896 and a, and a tandem compound of 1902. Um, you know, they were engines that were sent down to Tasmania, which is a state of Australia. It's just, it's an island, it's separated, so it was sort of nearly a different world down there from the mainland, but... Um, but yeah, up to, up to 1900 was pretty much all English engines. And then after that, then, um, yeah, Buffalo pits, you know, the, very well known here. It's funny, you know, there's way more buffalos here in in Australia than there is in America, but that was just, we had a very good agent here mm-hmm. and yep. you guys had that, you know, obviously during the second world war, you had those big scrap drives, didn't you? Which got rid of a lot of good stuff. Sure.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, a ton of it. You guys
1: never really had anything like that go on down there for drives of scrap, or is is that a thing with the old stuff?
2: Oh, not – we didn't have it – like the English had as well. They lost a lot of good stuff during the Second World War, but it didn't happen so much during the war. It was more um, in the 50s. That's when the scraps really got going. So a lot of stuff made it to that time, but then it it got um, scrapped and disappeared from then, but –
1: I just can't imagine Mm. them shipping these things over there in the early 1900s or even in 1910 or 1915. I just can't imagine, you know. Well,
0: back up, back up there. He was saying 1850. Well, yeah, that too, you know.
1: And it just blows my mind. Like, what was the fatality rate of that stuff even getting there? Did it all get there that was ever ordered to go there?
2: Most of it did. I mean, there there was obviously shipping accidents. I know there's a, you know, I think it's off the coast of Sydney. There, there's a there's a ship down there somewhere, and um, I don't know how many it had, but certainly there was a very early 1850s portable, um, a bark portable built built in England that's down there somewhere. Um, but I think yeah, most of the stuff seemed to make it make it here. But that that early early those early traction engines, like the portals might have been alright, mm-hmm. but the traction engines were just a lot of cast iron, not steel, um, as in cast steel, which is came later. But they just were weren't very um, good, you know. They might have toddled along a nice, smooth English road under test there, but when they came out here when there was hardly any roads and conditions were pretty rough then they used to um, break down. So a lot of these early ones ended up being quite a disappointment, but they sure. could get re-, well, just, you know, just parked up and still um, run a belt and drive something that way. But the, the drive, whether it's gears, chains, whatever, the wheels, that was um, they're falling down. But, yeah, so the, the English engine certainly improved in design over time, which is sort of makes sense with, you know, realising that, you know, cast iron gears is no good. But, yeah, technology changed. Wrought iron be, moved into steel with boilers, whatever. But, yeah, so back to just to trying to fill in with where the Yankee stuff started coming in. Well, um, yeah, Buffalo Pits, uh, International Harvester, you know, obviously had a lot of um, horse-drawn equipment. Mm-hmm. And and they somehow became the um, agent for Buffalo Pits in not not Western Australia. That was different. But Western Australia is so far away, there's nearly like a different country too. But on the east east coast anyway, Buffalo Pits were the um, was sold by International Harvester, and they had a really good network of agencies, and were um, really progressive. And they started selling a lot of these engines. Um, like there was an initial agent. Of Buffalo pits, it was this J and C Howard, but they were pretty shit out, so they didn't sell many at all. So when International Harvester took over, about I don't know, I'm only guessing a bit, 1904 or five, they really started pushing these hard. And because these engines were they were cheaper, so that was a good thing. A lot of them were smaller, and the English engines were generally, you know, bigger in size, um, and the, and the the Buffaloes were sh- um, lighter. It's not nearly as heavy in the wheels and the board and whatever. So they could tiptoe around in in muddier country, whereas English engines would get all bogged up. So they really really started to um, make inroads into the English market here.
0: And I guess yes.
1: did most. it seemed like all of our U.S. engines had cleats and lugs on the wheels and all that kind of stuff. Was the stuff that was coming to you guys that was English, Did it was it the same way? Or was it more like what you see the English engines now where they had rubber wrapped around the wheels and stuff like that?
2: Oh, no. Yeah, so that that rubber n- never happened here in working days. The English had it certainly in the, I don't know, in the 1920s when they were still running engines then. Okay, okay. Um, that rubber was was – Quite well becoming common. Even you know, they're coming out of the works with that, and, and other engines were getting converted to to rubbers. But now we we had well the the English engines that came here just had strikes as we call them. Just sort of generally always just a flat bit of plate. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas you know a lot, lot of your um American wheels they're quite savage in the um cleats. So that's sure. as a good example, with the with the Buffaloes, the first ones that came here had like a cast um, strake or cleat mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And then not long after that, they went to, you know, and it sort of makes sense if if the Buffalo engine's coming here to compete against the English, then they sort of went that way a bit. So we got all of a sudden all these flat steel cleats.
0: Um, and that from like, the, a, like the municipal wheels. I guess there would be some manufacturers here uh, that did have an option to have that municipal wheel or a flat bar plate kind of thing across that. Uh, There's a couple of... Uh, advanced rumleys up by us that have it that way i know a couple of nickels Jeffords. well i guess chris your your guys's uh 20 double rear mouth there had uh, municipal wheels on it there yeah plugs across the thing yeah basically like one inch
1: thick and two inch wide that reached across the whole wheel you know to make it pretty pretty flat looking across the, the wheel but you still had some cleats if you were down in the dirt or whatever you know but not near as aggressive as what you see most of the time on stuff around here
0: yeah, Yeah, that's it.
2: Yeah, yeah I think because for, for whatever reason, a, a lot of engines would – and I guess the engines over there, if they're going from, you know, farm to farm, pulling a thrasher, they, they had to drive on the road. But a, a lot of the engines here were, you know, d- did more road work, so they couldn't have those aggressive cleats on them, which would chop the road up. Mm-hmm. And so that yep. – with these buffalos, they, they had the slightly aggressive cleats on the first came, but then they just went to the straight flat bar ones, and um, and that sort of became the norm. But, the, yeah, so the, the funny thing with um, – so these Buffalo pits are coming in and they're selling really well. They're really good steamers because they had much bigger boilers sort of per size than an English engine. And so the English companies, and I think this is pretty funny because they built some good good engines, no doubt, but um, the main ones who were sending engines to Australia, they had to sit up and take notice that, wait a minute, their market share was starting to um, fall away on the sort of the smaller engine market. And and so when I talked about that Fowler that Dad bought in 1963, it's, um, it's a strange model. It's a, called a Anglo-Australian or a model BAA. I don't know why they had two different names for it, but what happened, so Fowler was a huge manufacturer of um, traction engines and, and plowing engines. And, you know, so um, some of you, uh, California's got Fowler plowing engines and Hawaii for the sugar country. So, you know, you did get them in, in the States over there.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Um, I, but um, I, yeah, a, so
2: this, sorry, you go.
1: There's a little bit. There's a few English engines here in the states that I can think of, but it, you definitely don't see them very. Much. I mean, I, I've never. I mean, wasn't there some up in Minnesota or something, Jake, that a guy had up there? And I don't know that I'd <clears> ever yeah. heard of any out in California myself. But
2: I'm talking. I'm talking more in, in the working days back when you, sure, you know, sure. they were farming and oh, and plowing sugar sure. yeah. country. So um you definitely had fowlers you know they went all over the world but yeah there's definitely a market for these ploughing engines but so with fowlers sending quite a, a few engines to australia that'd be the most common traction engine that came sure. here and yeah the, all of a sudden buffalo Pitts, are you know selling a lot of engines so the agent because it's all agents there wasn't any direct sales really uh-huh. so well pair on the agents for fowlers have gone All oh, hang on um we need to Come up with a cheaper, lighter engine, sort of more in, to to compete against the Buffalo Pit. So they designed this engine, this this um, Anglo Australian engine. And, they, and uh, in the end, they over I don't know what it was about six years. They only built nine of them, and one went to South Africa. They had an experimental farm over there, so that was sort of a bit different. But the other eight all came here. Um, and so this one that Dad first bought is is um, one of this type. Uh, eight came here, four got scrapped, so four survives, which is pretty. Pretty good, really, fifty um, percent. But it's it's sort of a cross between an English engine and American engine. It's just all wacky. It, it doesn't have a solid axle like most English English engines do. It's got stub axles and other yeah. wacky things about it. So, but it didn't sell very well anyway. So the Buffalo Pits kept chugging along. Um, um, and, and burrell they tried making a colonial engine, and they couldn't compete. And Ruston Proctor, um, they had a it wasn't just for Australia, but they'd had a colonial model. I was sending to South Africa, sorry, South America, and they swung some here in Marshall. They're all big companies, but they all had to bow down to the the marketing force that was International Harvester selling Buffalo Pits. So, you know, they they did really well, and that's why there's a lot of surviving Buffaloes here. A, mm-hmm. a, a lot of pretty knackered mine, but yeah, they did really well.
1: What other American engines made it down that way in any kind of presence at all besides Buffalo Pits? Oh, uh, well,
2: it's such a good. You drop down the peg a fair way from then. um, There was a, as I said before about Tassie, Tassie's sort of nearly like a different country in a way, but they got quite a few um, Frick Eclipse traction engines.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: Um,
2: And, well, when I say quite a few, as I said, things survive really well in Australia in in a percentage base. So I don't know how many went there new, but, you know, there's still sort of the, not all running, but, yeah, there's probably a a dozen Frick traction engines or, or remains of still surviving mm-hmm. down there, um, and so that you know that again that was just that smaller lighter engine competing against the other sure.
1: English engines. It's just interesting um, to hear because like Frick is a pretty prominent over here. There are a lot of Frick engines here in the United States versus like Buffalo Pits. Like I mean, Frick man, far outweighs yeah, Buffalo yeah. Pits. I mean, Buffalo Pits is like a couple of handfuls, you know, even here in the states. You know, and to hear. You know, it's just like you said, they're a lot more prominent over there than they were even here.
2: Yeah, I guess it's just like a lot of things.
1: Um, it's just a really good agent makes a big difference. Yeah, you know, yeah, the, yeah, good sales. Most
2: yeah, of the products are all pretty, pretty similar to each other. Um, and it's the same as, you know, motor cars or oil engines or tractors, whatever. You get a good agent and they can you know, sell a lot. And I guess you've, you would have found that over there in the States.
1: Oh, yeah, sure. For different areas, you know, uh, you can def- – well, there's like – You'll see old testimonials and magazines talking about, uh, there was a salesman here in Kansas City area that went in Kansas and stuff that was an advanced salesman. You'll read lots of stuff about him, about, you know, such and such were looking for an engine, and he were he knew where
0: this was at, so he sold them that, and one thing or another, you know. I suppose different types of farming, like different types of engines would have been more conducive, like, to that area, too. Like, I don't know, is I guess I haven't been to uh, a Tasmania, but is Tasmania real hillier or something like that? Because that's kind of what. Frick was uh, kind of known for was running around on hill ground
2: yeah it definitely is as I said it's it's a fair bit different to the mainland it's a bit more like Tasmania sorry Tasmania, a bit more like New Zealand really um yeah it's it's um it's you know it rains more down there and it's, it's hillier so yeah it would make sense if that's that was a marketing angle that um Frick's had
1: sure yeah
0: so, that's that was their manufacturing there is in, out in Pennsylvania and that's it's that's hill country out there. I mean, there ain't a flat piece of ground in the whole state, it seems <laughs> like. Yep. Yeah, it worked, worked out well. So tell us But a I think little.
2: The thing with them, sorry, the Frick, because they had, had a center crank, you know, crankshaft too, mm-hmm. so that sort of, uh, as yeah. I said, it was very English-focused, and actually definitely Tassie. was sort of nearly like a different enclave down there, but that center crank crankshaft gave them that sort of, Good strength that the um, the locals would have liked. You know, a cheaper engine, but still had some good um, engineering features that they liked.
1: I yeah, never thought about yep, it like that. For sure. Sure.
0: Yeah, they kind of resemble a little yeah. bit. Yeah, uh, now that Eng- I'm thinking about it. Yeah, English they, manufacturing. Out of yeah. all
1: the ones that were made here, they probably have the most resemblance of an English manufactured in- engine. Mm, yep. So tell us a little bit about the type of work uh, the traction engines were doing there. Uh, it sounds, I mean, you mentioned something a minute ago about a sawmill, and then I assume, was it more like roadwork type stuff than farming, or was it used, for, I mean, did you guys do direct plowing in Australia, or was that a need, or?
2: um, It, a lot of, uh, going through history that, you know, I've looked at, um you know, a lot of stuff over the years, and everyone seemed to have a crack at direct plowing, Um and, and say there's a, and I've sent a few to some, um, people over in, in America, uh, there's a good reprint catalogue of a Buffalo Pit catalogue, and, and it's got lots of photos and testimonials, and and it shows quite a bit of direct ploughing happening, um, and even the English engines, because they're a fair bit heavier, um, they might be another third heavier again, so they all had a crack if it was you know dry conditions um, for direct ploughing, but it really wasn't a long-term thing, I think. Horses hung on, and then you know, then the you know, you know the petrol, kerosene tractors come along and um, took that um, ploughing thing over. So it wasn't much. That one one little um, side thing. There was cable ploughing with these sort of you know, mainly Fowler ploughing engines mm-hmm. with the two engines either either side of the paddock. But that was mainly in the sugar country. So up in northern New South Wales and into Queensland, um, that was used for that. There, there was a. There were other. Plowing engines used here, but that was for in arid areas, which makes sort of no sense. They weren't ploughing for paddocks; they were digging up what we call dams or, or tanks um, for, for storing water for sheep oh, out okay. in the arid country. But that yeah. was sort of a wacky little side, side bent. But yeah, for direct ploughing, steam had everyone had a crack, but it wasn't really a long term thing. But where they really made you know made a mark was thrashing and chaff cutting early on, um, and then the thrashing really sort of ran out. Probably, you know, well, some people thrashed up to the Second World War, sure, but you know, mostly we had a good um, manufacturer of harvesters here, Sunshine Harvesters. And so they really sort of took over the, the thrashing side of it, the, mm-hmm. the cleaning of the grain. But chaff cutting was just go, go, go up to the Second World War. Like I said earlier, there was um, huge industry in chaff cutting, you know, out, let's say, out western New South Wales, out of Sydney. There was just all these you know, big areas. Con- contracted um, to send X number of ton of chaff to Sydney, there was just so many horses being used in Sydney for you know whatever on um, hauling wagons around with deliveries and whatever. So that, a lot of traction engines were used chaff cutting. Certainly around area, every, every engine pretty much cut chaff, mm-hmm. and and then you know haulage, um, a lot of logging. So you know we've got because I, I love the history and I like chasing up photos and stuff. So of our engines, there's, you know, got quite a few photos of, in different parts of the country where there was a lot of timber, say, yeah, it are just exclusively just hoard logs pretty much from brand new to, you know, when they were knackered, you know, 40 years later. So sure. um, that's that's where, you know, those, you know, nicer cleats for the road really, you know, came into it. And um, having two speed, a lot of, pretty much every English engine had two speeds, so mm. um, they they did a fair bit of that.
1: So did the? I, mean, I assume you guys had sawmills and stuff like that. Was there any American-made sawmills that made it over there? Or was it all the English-style, like I remember being called sawed benches when we were at Dorset, you know, with stuff like that. President over there.
0: Yeah, the,
2: I think I've seen one in a museum up in Queensland. One of the, what? What I don't know what you call it. That sort of um, where you have the put the log on the platform and it runs back and forward. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, but that's pretty much unheard of here. Yeah, it's just all yeah, like the English. um Yeah, just a kind of a big, a breaking down sort of to break the big logs down into smaller bits, and then you just have a, a a rip bench where you um running through there, not nearly as um you know fast and mechanized. I guess the thing that here to remember though is most of our timber um, was hardwood, real hard. You know, yeah. You've got your cypress, or even that redwood, be magnificent timber. But this hardwood we've got here is stinking hard, so um, you've got to sort of chug along a bit slower through the through the log. So.
1: I see. Yeah. That was one of the big differences I seen at Dorset when I seen them sawing versus what we do here, you know, and it's like, man, it seems like it's taking them forever to get through that log. You know, it seems like, it seemed like they would spend the, I mean, I know it's at a show too, but it's just like, it seemed like it would take them a half an hour or so to saw through a log or more or whatever, you know, and like here (laughs) where we're from, I mean, a half an hour, I mean, you could be 10 logs in, you know, or at least an easy five, you know, three or four or five sometimes, you know, depending on the size and everything else, you know. It's definitely yeah. a, a different type of sawing. Mm, yeah, it, it
2: sure is. But you know, I've seen some good videos of, um, you know, some of the mills there. You have where's that one? Is it the Bryden and, and something sawmill? Where's that one?
1: Oh yeah, up there in yeah. Log, Minnesota. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, that's, that's crazy. That's huge. That, oh yeah, that's that, set up there. Yeah, that'd that be is amazing huge. to see.
0: Yeah, all all inclusive of everything that you ever would have needed at a sawmill there. Yeah, that's a that's a, that's like a, another wonder of the world. If you're a steam engine guy, it's yeah. that is phenomenal. You know, here in
1: Missouri, especially, uh, south of me and the Ozarks and stuff like that, it's a big logging industry and, and still is today. And, uh, more so you would just see, you know, small sawmill sites, uh, set up on a hillside or whatever that were put there and put in production and then basically just abandoned, you know? You didn't see a lot of them great big setups like that. Other than especially down south southern Missouri where there was the industry, you would see pictures of stuff like that and stuff that still exists today of newer stuff and and one thing or another. But it was more so almost just a small sawmill set up in the woods, you know, and they were cutting railroad ties or whatever they were doing. And I mean, I can think of a couple south of me, maybe you know 10 15 miles that are still there that just abandoned uh because it was those small things that would just pop up and go into business and then when steam went away or the power went away that was kind of the end of it you know
2: yep yeah that uh, happened here you know mostly too that it's all to do with um transport. So, was you know trucks came along that changed everything but yeah initially yep the mills were in the in the bush spot mills and they just um Knocked an area out when all the timber was gone. They'd pack up the mill and just drag it to somewhere else and um, set up again. But mm. then when, when um, you know petrol and then you know diesel trucks started coming in, it was always easier to set up the mill in a nicer spot and cut the logs to down down there.
1: Sure. So,
2: but but so what? One thing that's big difference here though, we in the mainland especially, because I said Tassie is a bit different. But we had heaps of portable steam engines, and so talking about sawmills. Well, if and and you're uh the your American engines versus an English traction engine, like you've got the nice platform at the back so you can run up and jump up and down easily and sure. fire the traction engine, whatever, but the English engine you've got to come up the side generally. Yeah. We've got some acquarant you come up the middle and that's a much better idea. But yeah, mostly you come up the side and down to the tender and it's a bit pokey and so if you're running a sawmill um in Australia at long term, the best thing to do was have a portable so you can, you know. Generally, have a bigger horsepower for a start because we didn't have huge engines like you did over there. But um, in traction engines, but in portables, yeah, you could get a whopping great big thing. Um, but yeah, you can stand on the ground, you can fire it. You don't have all that other um, incidentals on the back that's in the way. Um, so we've got. To, that's why Australia's got heaps more portables and traction engines because they were used for not just sawmills, but pretty much anything you can think of. Um, here in sheds. You know, we had heaps of sheep in Australia. That the old saying Australia was built on the sheep's back um every every big property or station as we call them you call them ranches well these um farms or if they're real big they'd be co- get called stations but yeah they'd have um the steam engine driving the, the shearing shed and um you know I've got one engine a portable um and it i don't know how many it drove mechanically but it it went into a shed there was a hundred and one blade shear stand so that's a whopping shed big t t shaped um building it was huge and then when they decided to go mechanisation in eighteen eighty eight, when this engine was built, there um, yeah, that that ran the overhead gear, um, and so so there was heaps of portables out, um, yeah. you know, quite remote areas running shearers, um, shearinches because wool was so lucrative. So it was going for a pound a pound back in the day. So if you could stuff, you know, heaps of sheep on your property, well, that's what you did. And mm-hmm. drought might come, and a heap would die, but you know, you just wool was pretty much gold. So there was. Um, and then you needed water out there. It might, might not much above ground water, but there was artesian water. So water that was underground, and if you could bore down to it, then it would come up under pressure. So, again, a heap of portable steam engines ended up just driving bores, and it might have taken them a couple of years to hit water because you needed water to find water. And then when they hit water, they were done. They just So you can go to properties out there, and there's just all these knackered portables that are still sitting there to this day.
1: Because they spent two years trying to find water.
2: That's right. So that's they get crazy. they might be on um, pretty, pretty rough water. So it might have been mineralised water or really muddy water, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and that's why a heap of end, every second engine in Australia's got mud bulges. It uh, just because there was um, a heap of mud, you know um, mud in the water, and then you know Settle who would want boiler. to spend all Sunday yeah spend yeah. all Sunday washing the boiler out? So they just never did that, and then kept accumulating, accumulating, and thereby, by There's some good bulges here, um, and I've got this. One portable, was actually that one I was mentioned before that drove that that shearing shed. Um, it's got, and, and uh, I, I haven't, it's never had it running because it's nearly a museum piece just to look at it, but it's got three types of bulges. It's got mud bulges where they didn't wash it out properly. It's got a um, quilted crown where the, you know, the fuse plug must have blown and they just plugged it with a bolt and just um, powered on. And then it's got hot again and then it's just come down. But it, they kept going and then broken stays. Stays are broken and they just oh, wow. kept, on too. So there's all bulge out from there. But hmm. like, I think it was working to the end, but it was rooted. And then they, um, they, I don't know, 1910, they replaced it. It was built in 1888. So that's whatever that is. Um, and then 1910 ish, they replaced it with another engine. And I think they were told, look after this one.
0: Hmm.
2: So it was pretty, pretty hard on engines out, out in the bush.
0: Yeah. And it looks so, like they got pretty lucky.
2: Yeah. Well, there's, yeah. I've seen, I've seen worse mind, but yeah, that was probably one of those days <laughs> broken. It started, you know, the um, firebox started walking away. They might've thought we might have to get a new
1: engine. <laughs> they were working <laughs> machines. They had to get the work out of them. I mean, you've seen that a lot around here too. Uh, mostly it seems like some of it more so in the later years of they were trying to use stuff of, you know, patching something up or getting something to run or whatever, you know, uh, but yeah, they were working machines. They did whatever they needed to do to just keep on working. It sounds like,
2: yeah. Mm, yeah, and I guess just was the remoteness in certain parts of Australia was a thing. Sure. You know, it was so far from, um, you know, someone who the problem was there wasn't many good people to, to run engines. That the um, you know when an engine was bought new, there might have been um, you know a, a trained um, fellow who had a boiler ticket and engine drive certificate, all of that, but then. It might go, get sold to someone else, and, and so some bloke who had no idea was running it, and so what, had an allergy to an oil can, so it wouldn't, you know, oil it enough, and it wouldn't wash it out, and then, yeah, they just got worse and worse and worse, um, and, and being remote, they couldn't get anyone to come and fix it, so they just, the poor old steam engine just wear themselves out, and, mm-hmm. and, and a, 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 a petrol engine give up, but a steam engine keeps going.
1: Sure. Yeah. That's, that's, I don't know. I, this whole time we've been talking, I was sitting there wondering like, was there ever any kind of, uh, you know, you talked about a salesman or whatever that sold the engines, did they have any kind of base there at all where they would get these engines ready for you guys or, uh, any type of outfitter that got an engine ready or it just came in and shipped off and the owner picked it up and that was the end of it.
2: Well, I think it was, as we touched on before, that it was a very agency based, um, market here. So, Let's say, yep, um, and, and I've looked through the Victorian boiler records, um, and that shows you that, you know, in you know 1908, um, and in February, I'm just making that date up, but I can, if I really wanted to, I look through that. And so the boiler inspector's gone to International Harvester um, yard in Melbourne, and is inspected half a dozen brand new Buffalo Pitts engines. Um, they've come in as, uh, on spec because uh, they were selling so many that they, because. Usually they'd be ordered, you know, someone would walk sure. into the agent or, or, or write to them and say, I would like a, 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 this type of engine. But um, the English companies were doing it too, but but Buffalo's especially, there were heaps of coming in. Um, and if you look through this Buffalo catalogue, catalog, you know, we, we have these in stock. So the inspector would go and have a look at these brand new engines, um, inspect them, and then they're all ready to go. And the agents would send them out and then then they'd be on their own pretty much. Um,
1: Nobody you know, to fall back on everybody. if something happened or parts industry of any kind or anything like that.
2: Yeah, I'm not sure whether there was too many, um, you know, representatives going out and fixing them. They, they could certainly, there was a, you know, um, resource there if you needed parts, you'd you know, wire back to the, the agent and said you needed parts. Um, but with, with regards to boiler repairs, I guess there was just, you know, like mechanics out in it. Out in the way, there was um, people who do boiler repairs, but, yeah, that's just a lot of engines got pretty much worn out from um, bad water, you know, lack of understanding of how to, you know, look after them. So that's why so many Buffalo pits, there's heaps here. I could probably think of a 100 if I really thought about it off the top of my head, but, you know, there's only about, you know, 20% of them that are actually run. The rest
1: are knackered. Mm Yeah, that's. Cr- I can't even think about a hundred buffalo pits. It's crazy to think about. Really,
0: I don't even know if there's. Is there twenty of them here? Maybe. Well, yeah, thirty. I mean, maybe
1: that may be stretching it quite a bit too. I mean, that's just wild to think about that a hundred of them are over there. Well, yeah, that, that that's
2: just. One, no, that, yeah. I'm just talking about su- su- surviving. though. that's not what sure. came here. Yeah,
1: yeah, 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 yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, that's... Chris, Chris, and I seen one, seen one up at uh, up in North Dakota there that we'd never seen before, and uh i mean it's just got a ton of different features and chris and i are pretty well versed in stuff and you know to look that thing over it's just got a whole bunch of different features but it's something we had never seen before yeah you you
1: just don't really see him at all i mean there's there's one pretty local to me uh you know it's maybe whatever it is 30 40 miles away we've done some work on it or in one thing or another but i mean that's it was brought here from north dakota also and man, I mean, there's just not any, there's a few out east and that's about it. I mean, there's just not a ton of them around here at all.
2: Yeah. And I think part of that is because they went, they went belly up pretty early on. So, sure. um, and, and that, so they were w- worn out perhaps. And then, and because they were all generally, um, lap seam boilers and, um, you know, they were pushed aside and other engines come along and then, and when the scrapping come along, well, yeah, they hadn't been used for ages. so might as well just send that one to scrap.
1: Sure, and it makes you wonder if they were having such good success selling engines to you guys that maybe they focused more on that market than selling them here in the U.S. in any way. I'm not sure. That makes you wonder, though.
2: Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, I only know from a couple of Buffalo Pit catalogs I've got here um, with testimonials of, from working in the States that, yeah, they certainly sold engines over there, but sure. Yeah. Whether they, I mean, the engine numbers got right up, on you know they were into the maybe even the eleven thousands, um, I think, um, and that's a lot of engines. But yeah. I'm not sure mm-hmm. they numbered other things like you know, th- not their Niagara Thrasher or, or whatever else. But yeah, they had a big um, factory, so I reckon they sold more more over there than here. Just that, as I said, because of we didn't have this big scrapping regime during the war, that a lot of things survived.
1: Sure.
0: I wonder what the tie was. Uh, to International Harvester and uh and Buffalo Pits. Yeah, and, I, I'm I can't not make. Sure. I can't. I can't make that connection over here
1: either. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't seem to. Yeah, it doesn't seem like you'd you'd make that up over here at all. But I I am, I'm not sure
2: how they come about it. But I guess International never had a steam engine, um, and so this was a good way of, um, you know, having having an agency here.
1: Sure. So back to you and your dad collecting there, did your dad just continue to collect as he grew up or when did you kind of get into it?
2: Um, yeah, well, no, dad kept pushing on. Um, he So 63, he bought that engine. And, and the beauty of that, I reckon he's the, um, th- there'd be no one alive who's driven home. Like dad's driven home four engines. He's bought them locally and, and driven them home. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so he bought that little fowler in 963 and he, he lived still at his parents' place then and then he bought a steamroller in 1965, I think it was, and drove that home, which was up there, and he didn't do much with that. He, he did um, – his uncle, he, he um had a had an aeroplane little airstrip out in the farm there, so Dad um, did roll his airstrip with the Abling Porter Roller, so that's – there was a photo of that um happening, which is pretty funny for, you know, out in the middle of nowhere where we live. <laughs> but, and then – yeah, he just kept. He, he bought a McLaren in 968 and drove that one home, and, and he'd moved to the where the farm we are now. So that went straight to there. and he dragged the other two down later, and but then he decided to get into steam trucks or steam wagons, is their proper proper name, but um, which was an English thing. Like they were they were made in America, but I don't think very much at all. I think Buffalo Springfield was it made um, yeah. made some steam wagons, but.
1: Sure, yeah, I'm pretty sure the, they did. Yeah, <clears throat> I don't know yeah, if the, but
2: the English. Yeah,
1: I don't know if the need. It seems like the automobile was coming around. You know, the early trucks and stuff like that. So I don't know if it just kind of passed up a phase of steam trucks for us here in the states or something or other. I don't know why it never really catch on with the different manufacturers. You know, uh, just not a very common thing for us.
2: <clears throat> yeah, it's sort of surprising in a way. I think because your distance body made a difference, and you had that really good you Know early truck market there, you know, so some really early manufacturers of like light trucks and whatever, and heavy trucks. So and it seems like need-
1: the most of the heavy stuff got shipped on rail, you know, so the need for a heavy truck, uh, you know, really didn't come into effect until our highway system started to evolve or whatever. Mm-hmm. If you ask me, I don't know, I'm not no, uh, you know. I don't know everything about how all that worked out, but it seems like, you know, all the traction engines and all that kind of stuff, they all got shipped on rail. You didn't need some sort of heavy truck. Like, it seems like these steam trucks are a pretty heavy-duty truck, you know, for what they were used for, and uh, our road systems just weren't made for it, you know, at the time.
2: Yeah, well, certainly, as a, because we're an English colony, we've got that sort of um, same sort of thing that they had used over there. So the, the steam wagons were used... I mean, you know, oh, they did go a long way in a day, they could, but, you know, carting heavier stuff, you know, being a – they could have pippers, you know, a steam-operated hydraulic ram. So that made them pretty useful for carting roadstone or, you know, um, coal or that sort of thing. And so a lot of them were used around urban areas in in England, say, and same in Australia. There weren't many in the country here, but in the cities, you know, Melbourne, Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane, Perth, um, Adelaide, they had – um, bought a few steam wagons. So anyway, that's how my old man, he he sort of decided he w- wants them to go a bit faster, so that's how he – in um, the late 60s, he started looking around um, for a steam truck, and there wasn't many around our local area because I'm in northeast Victoria. I never sort of said where I'm from. Um, there wasn't many around – here like melbourne yeah but not up in the country but then he sniffed around and then as it could be happened back in the day 969 he found two in the one weekend so um yeah. <laughs> that, that got him going on the um the steam wagon um thing so uh, as a kid growing up um dad was either tinkering with stuff or he he'd restored one steam wagon when I was a little lad and then he was finishing another one when I got a bit older. So he would drive them around locally. Um, we had in the vintage car club in Wangarata and he'd take one. I remember there was when he had them both running because he, he, when he got the second one running, the Sentinel, it was a bit faster and a bit more useful than the first one. So then he parked the first one at the Abelinger Porter. But um, there was one vintage car club rally that he – I don't know how he managed to do it, but he got both of them into the rally. And I was this little five-year-old kid in a, in a, you know, typical nineteen-seventies brown Parker, standing next to the, uh, in these photos. But that's I was always in the back of him, getting c- covered in sparks, holes burning on my clothes. But
1: that's just <laughs> how I got into it. <laughs> I meant to ask this earlier. Uh, what was used for fuel to run the steam engines and like these steam trucks? You know, it seems like in when I was endorsed there, I mean, coal was the definitely the prominent thing. Uh, do you guys burn wood over there, or is it mostly coal again, like that is there in uh, UK and stuff like that? Or what did you guys use?
2: Yeah, well, um, the beauty of Australia is there's heaps of trees about. Um, mm-hmm. So generally, I mean, different. St- Australia's so big and same as America. You know, you're in middle of your country, you've got a lot of deserty sort of country. Well, a lot of, you know, South Australia, WA, uh, that's West Western Australia, that's quite you know, dry and and not as many trees about, but up the east coast, say, there's heaps of timber, you know, from Tassie, Victoria, um, New South Queensland. And so, yeah, traction engines, portables, were being sent out here, not so much your American ones coming here because they were already long fireboxes, but the English engines being sent to Australia generally had another one or two stays in length in the firebox for burning inferior fuel, wood. So two things, longer firebox, you could cut the timber up, you know, longer, and then you had a bigger firebox, so you needed to put more wood in to get the same output, but with steam wagons, they never had, well, Foden's did have a colonial boiler um, that they sent here first, and then they transitioned, all had the bigger boiler, but generally, steam wagons had the same size boiler for England or Australia or whatever, so... If you wanted to achieve anything with a steam wagon in Australia, you had to burn
0: coal.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's mm-hmm. that's kind of why yeah. I brought it up cuz <laughs> it seems like most of these steam wagons doesn't don't seem to have very good big areas for bunker to, you know, carry wood or or whatever, you know, so I I assumed that coal was a thing then or not, I didn't know. I didn't know. do you guys have yeah. coal mines in Australia or is it all imported or uh, there's No, huge it's typically- coal mines. Okay. Yeah, there's yeah. huge coal yeah. mines over there. Yeah
2: there is but like anything though there's you know there's different ver, different type of coal and different quality of coal so sure. um it, victoria never had real good coal it was a bit down one thaggy way but there was a lot of brown coal which was pretty crap really but they they use a lot of that for burning in um, power stations but mm-hmm. for 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 the use in them, um, you know steam Machines. I think even with the um, rail back. I'm not that into rail, but in the rail back in the day, they used to import coal from other states, New South Wales. They they had good coal there, so bring it down for the rail in in Victoria. Um, but that's always a you know it's a battle now, and I, um, trying to get good quality coal for the steam wagons because it, you can put you know you can have four bags of black coal there, and and that one's good, and, and then the other ones are terrible. So. Mm-hmm. Um, you just got to find the right patch.
1: Sure. <clears throat> yeah, that's uh yeah that steam the steam truck or steam wagon uh, deal. That'd be pretty neat. We like I said, I've never really been around one. Seen seen videos and pictures, and, and definitely when we were over in Dorset, you know, uh, it'd be <laughs> I don't know, I'd fantasize about taking a ride on one sometime. I
0: think yeah, there's yeah, one there was
2: over one, there here. Was a, yeah, a Foden wasn't there up
1: up um,
0: Michigan Way. Yeah, there's like I don't know if it's in Michigan or if it's in Ohio, but it's definitely – it's been around to the shows over the last, I don't know, 20 years or so. Uh, man, I'm trying to think where those pictures are. I don't know if they're on Facebook or on Smokestack. Uh, well, I'm not sure what's there it's there anymore. I know.
2: I know Beth had talked about um, one that uh, – was it someone who – the Domino's pizza guy, he had a, a phone and steam truck there for a time.
0: Yeah, I'm trying to remember exactly what it was. I'm slipping my mind now for some reason, but there was definitely a, a steam truck, steam wagon, uh, running around the show circuit up this way, I don't know, over the last 20 years. I can't tell you for sure where, where it went or if it went back overseas or uh, or who owned it there originally. I, I don't remember, but I do remember seeing the pictures uh, of one mm-hmm.
2: over here. Yeah. Well, what do you guys burn then, Carl or Wood?
1: Uh, here in Missouri we're it's mostly wood because most of our coal resources you know, there's coal down in Oklahoma, I guess, would be about the closest uh well good coal anyways. There is some coal mine stuff here in Missouri, but it's still quite a ways away and with having like we've got a sawmill over there at Dad's house, you know, you always got slab wood laying around and, and where I live is very wooded, you know, trees are are very readily available for firewood and stuff like that. So I mean in all my life up until probably just say five, 10 years ago, we ended up with some coal because somebody had gone down to the coal mine in Oklahoma and ended up with a few totes of it that we kept over the years and stuff like that. Uh, but up until then never really had any coal around me. Uh, you go North here, up here to Mount Pleasant, Iowa, they always seem to get coal up there for their show. And, stuff like that but around here it's it's not a very common thing to be able to get it it's always outsourcing it from somewhere far away so then you got trucking involved and everything else yeah for
0: us in in michigan here we're extremely wooded so yeah it's it's primarily wood and uh any of the coal that we do burn that's all imported from you know we've gotten out of southern uh, southern ohio uh, kentucky west virginia uh, that type of area there which is usually pretty good pretty good coal but we i mean generally just firing up and running around home here running our sawmill or something we we don't burn coal uh, we do plow every whatever like two or three years here at uh at our place and we usually try to get uh get some coal for the big engines because it's just easier to run that half a mile uh plow field there with uh, uh firing on coal but uh yeah primarily it's it's just just wood i don't know it's it's to me it's kind of it's easier it's cleaner um it's cheaper for sure. But uh nothing beats the smell of coal smoke sometimes.
2: Yeah, yeah that's for sure. Um
0: did did you have different fire boxes to suit coal
2: and wood or they're all the same size?
1: Mostly about the same size. Mostly what you'd seen here is uh we'd have straw burning engines, you know, where they were set up for straw burning, but they would also burn wood or coal as well. But some some boilers were made basically strictly uh or with a pretty good emphasis for straw burning you know is what you'd see more than anything uh but i can't say there's much size difference wise really in
0: most of that stuff even yeah i don't yep. really think there was too much experimenting going on within the manufacturers i think everybody kind of found a, a kind of generalized uh, great area or heating surface for the size of the engine that they were going to be running or the size of the boiler that uh, was desired and they just kind of stuck with it and I don't know, like, I guess they all kind of seem to steam kind of similarly ac- across the board.
1: Yeah, the only uh, thing that really sticks out in my mind is the difference between manufacturer and manufacturer over here is like Rumley engines always seem to have a really big boiler for no more uh, cylinder than what they had on top of them and stuff like that. But most uh, most all other manufacturers were pretty sized pretty accordingly and and like for like from manufacturer to manufacturer, it seems like. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And, and so what what made a, a straw-burning engine, then?
0: What's different there? Lots of times yeah, you'd have, have a... To... <clears throat> J- Jake owns yeah, an they...
1: engine that's pretty specifically designed for that and, and all that. He can tell you about that a little bit.
0: Yeah, that the, so advanced engines, they they really coined this term of oops, a, a straw-burning boiler. Uh, and, and some other engines kind of had a similar design. Russell had a similar design. Uh, but essentially, it, it kind of created a, a two-pass uh, type of a flow through the, through the firebox, kind of like a return flue engine would have had uh, in, in some sense. And normally, you would take the, the draft or the damper doors kind of in the back uh, bottom side of the firebox and uh, kind of uh, pull the draft across the firebox up towards the flue sheet or uh, the, the straw burning effect or the, the design there. It, uh, you pulled the draft from the front side of the firebox and it actually pulled the air uh, from the front side to the back head of the, the firebox and then uh, up and around what they called a water arch and then it hit the roof mm-hmm. sheet. So esen- essentially there's uh, if you want to call it that two, there's like two crown sheets inside of this firebox. It's kind of a stepped firebox and uh, mm-hmm. essentially there's there's water kind of like a talk. To, Take the mud leg on the side sheet. Take the mud leg and kind of put that right across the center of the firebox. And uh, uh, there's there's water there, so it, it created some more heat there. Uh, it gave the fuel uh, a little bit more time to burn or, or combust before it got into the flues. And that was the, the the idea was there that you were pushing straw in from the back, and the hot stuff was going up towards where the draft was, and it was. Uh, essentially burning back uh, towards where you were putting that new straw in all the time, and uh, uh-huh. the heat was coming around and uh, then hitting your flue sheet. So just giving it some more time to combust um, and really to, to burn wood or coal in it. I mean it's it's a really really efficient design. Uh, I've I've never actually burned straw in in mine. Just uh, I don't I really don't know why I don't really have a reason why I have to or have not but uh I, I can imagine it worked worked quite well and actually they they built like in the 22 horse engines i think they built 90 percent of their 22 horse engines in that straw uh design I, I don't think they built a ton of coal burners because well today there's really not that many uh coal burner boilers um uh, 22s out there and then yep. some of the other manufacturers they did this they tried to achieve the same type of thing, uh, where they didn't use a, a water arch inside the firebox. They used a, a brick arch and they had some, mm-hmm. uh, infrastructure that they had to lay in there to, to put uh, fire brick in across there. And there's still um, several engines out there that have the, that, uh, fire brick in them yet today. Um, but essentially just trying to achieve the same thing, given that, the uh, uh, fuel a little bit more time to combust before it uh, hit the flue sheet and ultimately wasted all that heat out the stack, yeah, and that way yeah. I've heard lots of
1: times too, is that a way it all got burned up before it got caught up against the flue sheet and plugged the flues up or something like that, you know, gave it that extra little bit of time to burn, you know,
0: Because yep.
1: yeah. I don't I, there's yeah. pictures out there you know of straw burning engines out in the field and stuff like that, and they would just have these huge racks on the back of them for holding the the straw and whatnot because Anytime I've ever seen anybody running off straw, I mean, it's a constant process of filling the engine with straw. I mean, you're—it's not like firing with wood or coal where, you know, you you pick a minute and you fire, and then you go back to just basically watching the engine run. I mean, it's it's a pretty constant flow of having to put straw in the firebox to keep to burn enough to keep steam up, you know.
0: Yeah,
2: no, it sounds like hard work, that's for sure. So I can imagine you'd rather fire on wood or coal.
1: Sure. And and strawberry engines would even have uh doors where basically essentially it was a couple steel doors that as you push the straw in and then you pulled your poker out or whatever, that the door shut back behind you, kind of a spring loaded trapdoor, you know, type thing, you know.
0: Yeah, because, yeah, check it out type of thing, yeah. Yeah, because
1: you were constantly, you know, shoving this thing full of straw. But I mean,
0: yeah. if you think if you think about it, like how so the, the, the marketing on that was for like the big wheat fields out West and man, you go out there, there, there's not a tree for like several, several sections of, of field out there. And, yeah, I guess if you're, I mean, if you're out there thrashing five, 600 acres or whatever, I mean, that's a lot of fuel that you're just kind of leaving there on the ground. I mean, uh, it, straw, straw burns really hot. And if you've got a way to, to capture that, I mean. I think it was probably a pretty good marketing concept and, and ultimately a, a boiler design uh, because the farmers could essentially use the waste that they uh, were creating there with their thrashing. Yeah, I definitely think it was more <laughs> of a waste back then than it was, you know,
1: like they'd use it for today for horses or whatever, you know, and not to mention they were doing it out in the field somewhere. So they would have to get that straw back to the barn or whatever. And essentially that free, yep. free fuel already lay mm-hmm. in there that they could use up, you know.
2: Yeah, it certainly makes sense, but yeah, it'd just you'd be pretty busy shoveling that in, that's for sure. Oh,
1: yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I <laughs> think you, you see it occasionally if somebody at a show or whatever that'll, you know, set one up for doing that to kind of, you know, put on the show or whatever. But it seems like whoever does it may do it one year here and there, and that's about it. They get tired of it after that. Yeah, yeah,
0: that's yeah. for sure. Yeah. I guess you see some old black and white photos of like some really big engines with them big racks on the back all yeah. made up and everything, but they're out plowing with them, which uh, oh, yeah. I don't know when, you've got, a, when you've got that much of get that much of a load. You would think that it would, you know, kind of draft some of that straw out of the firebox. And I don't know, like there's, there's pictures of 110 horse case engines and big Reeves engines out there plowing, pulling, you know, eight or 10 bottoms, uh, and burn burning straw, I just—I think the exhaust on that would just suck it right out, or right, I mean, really, it'd plug your flue sheet up. Yeah, I, mm-hmm. I can't imagine
1: doing it like that. Thrashing, I would think, would be bad enough being stationary, let alone trying to plow through a field with like that. Yeah, yeah. But then again, it was the—it was free fuel of the time, so you know they may do. It didn't matter, I guess, how much work it was because it was free.
2: Yeah. Mm, that's right. It was and it was available. So um, sure. if you got to go miles to get some timber, or well, you just you know, make do, it, it, label was cheap. So yeah, you just have some some bum fellas there, just come collecting up the straw. And
1: um, we had a lot of return yeah. flu engines and stuff like that here too, which were also you know kind of designed for that. Uh, did you do you guys end up with a lot of return flu stuff over there?
2: Um no. Um and and I've got you know I'm ready for you. I've got a list of Engines that makes it came here, but um, no, the only one was oh, it was a little, little portable cross. I can't remember the make of it. Now there was one little return flue portable um, that was that was survived here in Australia because that's how we know um, a, a lot of things is not from what um, came here, but just what survived because mm-hmm. there's not not very good records of what was sent here. But yeah, there was a little um, oh, I can't remember the brand of our little return flu um portable, um, but that's it. But no, no no traction engine that I know of. Um, certainly haven't seen any photos of and haven't seen any record of yeah. anything. But, um, uh, but uh, I'll, I'll run through some of these other wacky brands that we, we had here. Because um, there, there was one Avery and a 30-horse uh, under Mount Avery um, that came here, but it was a, a funny story. came to Victoria um, and it was – First inspected in 1913 and then in 1922. So, what's that nine years later? It's still brand new, owned by the same agent. Really he hasn't been able to sell it. Um, <laughs> and that's and pretty crazy. And and the um, because yeah. I've got these copies of the border inspection records, and it says this is this, you know, the second time 14 to the 12th, 1922. He says. Um, this boiler, though 10 years old, has not done any work. No one would buy the boiler owing to the weight of the traction, about 30 tonnes. Now, I don't know whether it really was 30 tonnes, but um, internally and externally, the boiler is in same as new condition. Hydraulic test was very satisfactory. And so it was the, – the, I've seen heaps of pictures of um, engines falling through bridges. Um, you know, in the states too, but
1: mm-hmm.
2: there was sort of a limit to too big an engine, um, and and you had to you had to get around. You, you know, the, so heaps of we, we've got you know quite a few of our engines. I've got photos of that have fallen through bridges, um, or you can just look at the damage and go, "Well, that must have fallen through a bridge." But this poor old Avery, just no one would buy it because it was just too big and heavy. Mm-hmm. And then, so by 1924, the so two years later, it was sent to Tasmania. Um, and it was inspected there, and then it just went up to um, – driven up to a coal mine. It must have got stuck because I've got a photo of it getting pulled by bullocks. Now, isn't that, you know, rather sad? You've got this great big engine, <laughs> but it needed a, a team of bullocks to pull it. But it must, must have got bogged. And then – but it was just – the border record says it was went to this coal company, and it was for winding. And and what they did, they they – it's just hard to believe this magnificent engine – but it was jacked up, um, and they put some steel covers over the uh, the grips, um, the cleats, um, and they just had two big, basically, cable drums on each wheel, and it really? was used for winding cable. Huh. Oh,
0: wow. And,
2: huh. and so that was the one and only Avery that,
1: that I know of. So um, what was the, fate of, the fate of that engine? Did it stay down there in Tasmania, or where did it go?
2: Yeah, it, it, well, it, it stayed in that, in that bush where that coal mine was, uh-huh. um, and then uh, – um, it must have been, you know, in reasonable order. So someone come along and um just pulled it all apart and just um, dragged a boiler away, and the boiler must have got used for something else. Mm-hmm. Um, and, that, and that was the end of that. But, yeah, I've got some photos of it being built up. It must have been railed. I'm not sure whether it came in one piece from... from because there's it's water between Victoria and, and Taddy. So whether it was shipped on its wheels across, but then it had to be pulled apart and stuck on a rail and, mm-hmm. and went on, I don't know, it was 20-something K up this valley to where this coal mine was. And then there's these photos of it being all, you know, in the, on this little rail siding being put back together to put on its wheels. And then that, then it had to drive a few more K up the, up the valley to this mine. And that's where it must've got stuck where the bullocks come in. So it, it would have yeah. been in in perfect order gear-wise, but um, I just, yeah, it got all sort of pulled apart and, and scrapped, but hmm. that, that was just it was just too big. Um, and as I say, the, the Buffaloes were good because whether it was the 8-horse, 10-horse, 13 singles, then you got 14 twin and then um, 18 um, twin cylinder, and then you got the twenty two starting to get big then, but those sort of smaller sizes, they sold mm-hmm. real well because that was a niche market, whereas this Avery was just way too big. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And just – so this one uh, agent, this um, W.J. Lemprier, he brought that Avery in. It didn't work. And he also brought one of those crazy Ohio tractors, which I don't think there's any surviving anywhere. um, But but he brought in one of those
1: to Australia. Hmm. Makes you wonder who lost the money on that deal. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, yes, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) I just can't imagine staying in business over that 10-year period of the thing not selling, you know. No, it
2: was just, I guess, this is a total white elephant um, and and no one, I mean, it would have been a good
1: power plant, you know, for a sawmill
2: or whatever, but just, it was just too
1: heavy for the road, so no one would go near it. You could run a lot of sheep shearing equipment with that thing.
2: Sure, sure could, that's for (laughs) sure. And then, but yeah, so the
1: Victorian boiler records tell us that that
2: one Nicholson Shepherd traction engine came to Australia. So there might've been others in other states, but, but one Nicholson Shepherd come here and then Barquart portables. Well, there's there's a few surviving. There's none restored, but there's a few around. Um, so they came in here, and then I, I mentioned before early on about Tazzy got some Sawyer Massey, so it's a bit of Canadian product. Um, and then there's also some Waterus engines too, which is again Canadian, but these um oh, vertical wow. boiler fireproof champions. Um, which oh, almost yeah, there must yeah, be all yeah. well, kind uh, 1880s period. So that was one of the earliest American engines ever to come here with these um. Waterous engines, which I think there's a, a traction engine survives and, I don't know, two or three portables.
0: Um, so that's, you know,
2: interesting early gear that we got from you guys.
0: Yeah, them early, them early water portable things, they're uh, that champion style engine. That's, uh, I was traveling to the museums up there in, uh, in Canada, Western Canada, and they, they've got one there on display and they are very, very, very unique. It was like a really intricate spark arresting smokestack to those vertical boilers. It's a really unique engine.
2: Yeah, well, that's what I mean that's how they, they marketed themselves as the fireproof champion. So that um yeah. you didn't want to be throwing sparks. So that's that's what they were angling
1: at. So here like I don't know whether it's been just just call it 10, 20 years ago, there was kind of the influx of people in the UK buying engines that were here because of the exchange rate and one thing or another and hauling them uh back over to the UK has anything like that ever been done in the recent years of people from Australia buying stuff from here and shipping it back over there?
2: Um, it's happened a few times, not many. Um, what do I know? I think there's four engines in Australia that I can think of that have come from the States. Uh, I only put it on, um, oh, the you know, Facebook group the other day. I was trying to find out from this other, this chap I know he's got a Nicholson shepherd that come from Texas. Oh, really? Um, yeah. and, It's a, was it a a 16-horse twin-cylinder job, um, oil-fired. He just, it was over there looking around, and he just was visiting some fella down in um, Texas, and he must have had it and thought, I'll buy that. Um, So he's got that, and he's had it for, I don't know, it might have been 20 years, but I've sort of got him a bit inspired, um, and and he's going to actually do, it needs some boiler work. Mm -hmm. Um, But he thinks he's going to spend a bit of money on that. And then another fella brought in a, Frick and a peerless. I don't know how many years ago. I'm going to say ten years ago. A pair of sort of the Pennsylvania engines, um, and then some other blokes put in a, uh, a little runway. I'd never seen that one, but um, yeah. so I a think bit that's a bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's a bad. I just
1: didn't. I was just curious. I, I didn't really know. Yep. You were talking about uh, that Nichols and Shepard being oil-fired. Is that something you've seen uh, in engines over your way at all, or UK engines, was oil-fired a thing? I mean, it seemed like it became a thing, a, a small amount in the traction engine market here. Like Avery actually marketed an oil-firing system where they had a, like on the mother mounts, had a big tank that mounted up beside the boiler and uh, you know used the steam pressure to the spray the oil in and stuff like that. Yeah. Atomize it in. Yeah, no, I I've,
2: I've not th- think... It's, it's ever heard it happen and it's all to do with fuel
1: though like sure, i can understand yeah. down in
2: texas if you can you know you're on your own ra- ranch um and you can just drill a hole and giddy up um oil comes up would well, when you use that instead of having timber or coal so sure um but we didn't have there is oil about but not not where the people are this way out in the middle of the desert um there's oil and uh, offshore but there was very little where the people were so no we had heaps of timber and then some coal so we this would nearly be the only oil-fired um, engine I know of, apart from you know there's some, you know, steam cars or a lot of stuff might run on liquid fuel, but sure, that's the only only one. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah that's that's pretty interesting. There, I just man, I, I we're sitting here talking, and I just still can't imagine a hundred buffalo pizzas in Australia when when you see what's left here. I don't know why that's <laughs> still stuck with me, but it is. <laughs> <clears throat>
2: yep, and then. Uh, Obviously, the interesting one, which you know w- we all know about is this this and 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 how they come up with the name I don't really know, but this fifty horse buffalo road loco that I've got
0: mm-hmm. yeah
2: and I've been out in the shed today measuring stuff just to you know sh- compare the the difference between because I've got the makings of a twenty two horse twin cylinder buffalo sort of a standard design mm-hmm. and then this um this fifty horse buffalo road loco um and They're sort of physically similar, but they're so different from each other. And uh, uh, the thing with Buffalo Pits, because I went out out of business early, it's hard to sort of find any information about them. And and when I first got into them, I knew very little, and as over time I sort of found out a bit more. But the the thing with the – because there's two Buffalo Springfield Steamrollers here. Now, that's important to know because when – with Buffalo Pits traction engines, say, or portables, whatever – all of their castings start with an E, so an E and then, you know, four digits. But you look at the Buffalo Row Loco and there's no E on it, or well, there might be a couple of little sort of common parts, but it's all an S casting. But that's Buffalo yeah. Springfield. If you see a Buffalo Springfield roller, sure, it will be an S casting. So it would appear, and, and I'm only guessing this, but that the Buffalo Pits Road Locomotive wasn't built in the Buffalo Pits Works but in the Buffalo Springfield Works. Because mm-hmm. they're, they're ra- the, the Buffalo Radloco is radically different; it's pretty much got nothing in common with the so the twenty-two horsepower, which are sitting next to in the shed. They're physically about the same size, but they're just so different that it might as well not have the same name at all.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't. Well, I've never studied up much on the correlation between <clears throat> Buffalo Pits and Buffalo Springfield and how that all kind of transpired and worked out. You know. Um uh, I know there's some people out there that know a lot more than a friend of ours in Michigan he's he's a big roller guy and he uh seems to kind of know all that stuff but I've I've never really quite understood all the makings of all that.
2: Yeah, no it's true I I haven't really looked into it um too much. I mean there was there is I'm not sure if there's any surviving over there because as I said there's two buffalo springfield rolls but I think buffalo pits did build rollers but then somehow there was this tie up with um well, was it was it O. S. Kelly from Springfield? Is that where they got the Springfield from? i d I'm not sure. But I,
1: I think so, yeah. Yeah,
0: Ke- yeah, Kelly Springfield. Yeah. Yeah, mm. yeah I can um, think of a so, couple
1: I know there's well out there in California, there's a Buffalo Pits roller, and I think there's another one in Canada or something or other, but definitely not a very common thing.
0: Mm.
2: Yeah. But so this this um Buffalo Pits Road okay, Loco, I mean they were used in America, because I said this I've got this catalogue here that's got testimonials of Manila, um, whatever that is, some town in America using it, for hauling roadstone with the special Buffalo Pits reversible, you know, um, wagons. Um, but there, was, there wasn't many came here, and I think I've got sort of from photographs and, you know, reference to things for sale. Maybe, you know, four minimum came to Australia, but the, their, the main problem with them for usefulness is they don't have a flywheel. Mm-hmm. Um, right, right they've got these, uh, this crankshaft with these balanced discs on them and so it's all good when you want to you know tow something but when you want to then drive something off the belt well then you're in a bit of a pickle then because there is no flywheel and so what was the death knell for this e- engine that I've got is that so there are three bearing crank um, and then it, so the fellow who bought it new in 19, about 1912 he was a sawmiller guy so he used it for hauling um, sawn timber. But then, yeah, after a while, it was a bit bit out of use for that. He probably used motor trucks. So then, oh, we well, tried to sell it because I found these newspaper articles about it. But in the end, he couldn't sell it. He was trying real hard because he was dropping the price right down. But he modified it to drive a sawmill. And now, how is this possible? Well, he put a flange on the end of the crankshaft, and then had this extension shaft with a ma- matching flange. So, I bolted them together, and then had a must have had a fourth bearing, an outrigger bearing with a pulley, and then because it had to get over the, the the wheels are thirty inches wide, so oh, it had to get yeah. over that, mm. and then and then had a pulley, and then drove the sawmill, and it did drive a sawmill because that's w- what it did until what do you think happened? The crankshaft broke.
1: Didn't last uh, yeah, very long. <laughs> lot of, lot, yeah. lot of pressure yeah. there, yeah.
2: Well, you've got four, four bearings. It would be hard enough, and I've known no, if three-bearing um, crank um, portables breaking because, you know, they're just hard to keep them all even, and eventually one bit of flex, and then um, the crank breaks. But this is this must have been four bearings. So um, the crank shaft was 100% broken in two. It, it, it held together. It sort of looked like it was bent, but because it had these balanced discs and there was these sort of bolts going different directions, bolting it all together... Um, but yeah, because it had snapped too um, in, in in between where the the discs were bolted on, sort of looked like it was just bent. But she'd um, she'd snapped in two. so that was the end of the um, the poor old girl. But uh, price wise, because you know that's I'm a bit of a steam nerd here. I've done the comparison. A, a 22 horsepower was 720 pound, and a 50 horse horsepower was double that, 1425 pound. Like it. An equivalent, equivalent English engine was about that or less, so mm-hmm. it really was a
1: just oh, a sure. bit of a,
2: yeah. a bit of a white elephant. Once you
1: wanted to do more than just hauling with it, not enough marketing there for a big rococo motive like that. Then,
2: no, well, you know, m- most engines ended up doing something with the belt, whether it was straight away or whether it was, um, you know, when their um, motive power days are over. But this sure. was. Um, this was an expensive engine that couldn't do that. Yeah. And what's it must have been a coal we're talking about, you know, what to fire. It must have been a coal burner, really, or, or thought of that because the um what's what is it? There's crankshaft, second shaft, the third shaft, um, with it's got the diff on it and there's this big diff right in the way where you want to fire. So to, you need to get under this shaft with this big gear guard on it.
1: Oh yeah. To get
2: to the oh, get to the fire door. If you were firing with wood, you'd be hitting your head. Like <laughs> you'd have to have a long, long shovel with you know and coal in. Like it just looks like a total pain in the ass. Huh? Hmm.
1: Man, I just I uh, I just can't can't get to the point where some salesman thought it was a good idea to ship these things over there that they just didn't really know if they had a market for between that and the Avery and stuff like that. I just can't imagine the expense. You any idea what it what kind of the cost was back then to get an engine shipped over there, or was that just all worked in the cost of buying it when it got there? I guess. Or,
2: um, yeah, it must have been because this this um, price list I have that's an international harvester one I found in uh-huh. the in the library somewhere. So 1912, yeah, that's, it cost you that much. So the shipping's already been already factored in. in yeah, that's, yeah, because that, that, that's Australian price. As in, you, know, you can find price lists for uh, you know in, in America or England, whatever, mm-hmm. but this is. Australian prices, but yeah, it was pretty much equivalent to the top of the line, you know, a Fowler road locomotive from England was nearly, this was the same price as this 50 horse buffalo. I think the 50 really means brake horsepower, which is, you know, getting away from you because it's nowhere near, it's about the size of a 22 horsepower um, sure. standard buffalo. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's people think, oh, it must be, you know, bigger than a, you know, a 40 reeves. No, no, it's it's tiny compared to that. It's just, sure. they've, and, and because it's only there's no bells. It's drawbar um, horsepower, but anyhow, they just come up with this 50, which sounds fantastic. But but the thing with, sort of set it aside, it ran at 200 pound, um, but it's just weird. Like, it had inch and three-quarter tubes. Like, how many English, uh, American engines have got inch and three-quarter tubes?
1: Not very many mm. at all. Not very many, yeah. 30 Not horse cases? I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Is there anything else you can think of? Mm.
0: 30, yeah, thirty horse case. Yeah, I mean, some little... probably some some vertical boilers of some sure,
1: sort. Sure, yeah. am sure, but not a, Not common is. at all. Not, Usually not very
0: many. Yeah,
1: twos and two and a halfs is probably the most common, and mm. uh, an occasional three inch tube.
2: Yep. Yeah, so it sort of set itself apart there. You know, the the, the lap seam uh, on the barrel was tri- triple lap seam, and even even the outer outer wrapper of the firebox where that joins because it's got horn plates like an English engine. Um, you know, pr- projection of the side of the firebox comes up to take all the crank and, and the second shaft um, yeah. where that outer wrapper of the crown um, joins the horn plates. It, I didn't realise because I was reading this catalogue this morning, you know, trying to brush up on, on the um, monology. And I went and looked at it this afternoon and I go, it is this triple um, row of rivets to hold that out of firebox to the horn plates. It's was like, wow, they'd really
1: just gone overkill here. Yeah. You mentioned yeah. something about the 40 Reeves there, and and you had mentioned before about making a trip to the United States here and looking around. Was that an engine you got to see when you were over here?
2: Um, no. Uh, uh, as I'd said to you in, in sort of preliminary talks, that I had been to the States in 97, but it was sort of a – it was funny, you know, Time moves on, you know. The um the internet's changed everything. Well, this is you know 97's pre internet. I used to um subscribe to Iron Man albums. Uh-huh. Um, I, I used to um read that and and see what was about. Um, and I I made a list of interesting. And I only read, probably you know read it for a couple of years, so there could have been some interesting stuff before and after. But just that few years, I was reading before I went over. Um, you know, there's a few different museums and collections I'd read about, so I decided to go and see them. But sure. Um. So I went to well, it was Memkey. Went to Memkey's first because that was in there, and then when I was there, was it been was it um, Carl Memkey who was it? Who was the, the, mm-hmm. the last one I would have. Yeah. He said, yep, "Oh, yep. are you going? Are you going up to you know over to um, Billings? You know to Oscars?" I said, oh, "I don't know what you're talking about." And he said, "What?" He said, "Oh, well, I, you know, I only know a little bit." So yeah, he sent me off there, and it was a like, great stuff. So, but in all of that little bit of traveling, I never saw that uh, a big Forty Reeves. No, sure, sure. I was, I was just curious. It. Yeah. I'd love to. I'd love to see one. There's only
0: one running though, isn't there?
1: Correct. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. There's there's kind of parts maybe enough to put another one together, but not owned by all the same people. And uh, I don't know. I wouldn't throw it out that there wouldn't be one put together one day. But uh, yeah, yeah, just one one complete one as of now. Yeah. And just yeah. To-
2: no, I've certainly got um, plans of coming coming back there again. You know, because '97 is a long time ago, but. Oh, yeah. um, it's just uh, the problem is as you know and you two live 700 mile apart but some of your big shows there they they're amazing but they're a long way from each other so oh, if, you're, yeah. you know, if you you know you want to go to them all, where you you want to have do a lot of driving or a lot of flying and hiring cars and it's not it's not easy
1: sure yeah you could probably stay on the road from like uh late June to mid-September and go to a show. <laughs> yeah. 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 Or October even, and basically go to a show every weekend. If you, if you planned it all outright, you know.
2: Yeah. And isn't, was it, was it one weekend? There must be a long weekend. You've got
1: three show, four shows. Up, oh yeah. It's all pretty all common. In the yeah. Yeah. Pretty common. And, yeah. Especially yeah, for yeah, out Jake's way. The map. Not, not so common for me, my way, but uh, definitely for, there, there is a few shows in between, uh, me that they're on the same weekend, but a lot more coming out Jake's way.
0: Hmm. Yeah. yeah. You just got to
2: choose, I think, because if you you just be r- rushing like around like a madman, um, you just <laughs> get to the next show and then you'd be knackered, and then you have to go to the next one, so you're better off just picking one and just going there so, for the whole time, or
1: whatever. Yeah. 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 There's definitely uh, you know a uh, few that are bigger than the rest and everything else that you could see a lot of stuff out. Well, I think we talked like mm-hmm. Labor
0: Day weekend. Uh we've done it before. We've hit three different shows. So three three different days you just kinda do like a big circle around the Midwest and you can hit, you know, like Mount Pleasant, you can hit Pontiac, you can hit uh Rock River, Wisconsin there, and then for us on the on our way home, we hit a little show called Heston. So it makes mm-hmm. four shows in four shows in one one weekend, you know, and yeah, by the end of it you're kind of kinda of spent, but man, you get to see a lot of stuff.
2: Yeah, no, it's amazing what you know you get a lot
0: of stuff at your shows there. Eh? Yeah,
1: it's a, it, like I was saying a second ago is uh it seems like even out Jake's way, you know, basically I would say middle Illinois and farther east, uh the following of the steam hobby is a lot greater than it is here where I'm at here in Missouri. Um I mean, I think they you know, roughly say there's like around 100 120 engines here in Missouri basically, you know, that are left and I mean there's a hundred within 50 miles of Jake's house, probably I would guess, you know, so it, uh, yeah. it's a lot more president out that way. And, and then there's more concentrated, you know, like, like up there at Mount Pleasant, Iowa, there's a hundred engines there at that show. And I don't know how many is at Rolog, but there's a, there's a big following up then that way between, uh, Rolog and Fargo and all that kind of stuff, you know, but then it just gets a little more sparse from there, you know?
2: Yep. And then, yeah, then you, yeah, you got all the, you know, over in California, you've got those, um, you know, the big engines that were totally different from your east side, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. and Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. That, that's <laughs> something to see. We've talked about that before and, uh, way different than what we're used to here, you know, but they were built, they were built for the market they had out there, you know, that's all mm. there was to it.
2: Mm. Yep. no, we, we never
1: got any of those Holt and Best steamers here, but you certainly got some,
2: um, um, Holt, um, you know, those early three wheel crawlers, um, yeah. You know, and there's there's even a uh, the, during the, the First World War, Ruston Proctor built um, built some under license for hauling guns, and there's one of those things, the only one surviving in the world. But it's it's somehow made its way to Australia after the First World War, and it survives in Queensland. So it, it just looks like a, a three-wheel haul, but it's a it's a Ruston Proctor.
1: Sure, track type type tractors. I assume you know caught on at some point down there, just like anywhere else.
2: Yeah, it depends on the soil. Like in um, Queensland, they had this really rich black soil. Like a lot, a lot of Australia's got pretty crap soil compared to what you guys have got. But um, Queensland has a really good black soil. So they had a lot of crawler tractors there just for plowing, which as, as a kid, you know, I'm just used to something with tracks must have a blade on the front for pushing things. Sure. But yeah. When I went to Queensland and saw all these crawler tractors, I said, well, where's the blade? I said, well, no, no, we just use them for plowing this. Uh-huh. So um, it's certainly... Um, those about, yeah, plenty of does with blades, but, um, for, you know, earth moving and logging, whatever, but.
1: Sure. Yeah. That's not, you know, even for us, that's way out West, you know, and even up in like Idaho and stuff like that, they still use a lot of track type, uh, crawlers for, uh, farming hillsides and all that kind of stuff, you yep. know, uh, you know, more commonly around here, it was, it was track type tractors with blades on them and stuff like that. But, uh, it, it doesn't seem like a bunch of them are around here for farming or anything like that. Really logging was a big thing with track type tra- tractors around me. Uh, that's where you see yep. most of the stuff without blades, but yeah, I, I'm kind of the same way. You, you, whatever you've seen with track type tra- tractors around here had, had blades on them for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That, uh, man, it's, it's just interesting to hear about the different stuff And, and the one thing, like the case engines ever make it over there to Australia. That's something you hadn't talked about or mentioned or anything like that. Was there any, anything like that? I mean, that was a very common engine over here. Did that stuff make it there?
2: Um, yeah, it it did, but then nothing in a a Buffalo pits blew over and out of the water. There was pace, but we seem to get, um, a lot of, well, there must've been some early ones for sure, but we seem to get a lot of real late model ones. And I, I don't know the full story, but it nearly looks like they weren't selling over in America. So they just dumped a whole lot of real late model stuff in Australia. And, and, again, I'm a bit of a steam nerd, so I've got my spreadsheet open um, with all of the – because I, I record um, all the engines I know of around and I travel – you know, I've done so many trips around looking at engines and, and recording them while am on my spreadsheet here. But so you like those little um the 18-horse, the late model little portables, which would be six-horse mm. early, but then they get called 18s. Well, there's a batch of what are you doing? one, two, three, four, five, six, and there's eight, eight I know of here, and, and a lot of them, those real lat model ones have got the aluminium tag, which corrodes mm-hmm. and falls off real easy, so it's a bit of a ball buster there to know the actual builder number, but the boiler number is obviously easy to find. Mm-hmm. And, and, and there's one I don't know because I've never seen it. It's a fair wreck, but of this other seven, look, listen to these numbers, two, four, five, four, six, and then they all so they're all started with two four, so we've got two four five four six five 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 six five six two five six eight five seven one five seven two, like that's just what survives. Sure. So wow. and these are all they're all butt strap, eighteen horse portables. I'm not even sure whether you've got any butt strap, and if you do, they're they're pretty you know uncommon and sought after. All well, there's you know there's um
0: yeah
2: seven possibly eight of them still surviving
1: here. Yeah, that'd yeah, be that'd pretty be late engines. I mean, rough. I don't remember the like. Usually, you add twelve thousand something or whatever it is to the boiler number, and that gets you close to the serial number. You know, so yeah, that's that's. Yeah, I think t- two late.
2: two have got num- numbers, and they're they're, they're three five, yeah. Seven eight six and three five eight oh five. So, and then remember, I've got that eighty horse portable. It's three five eight three five, and I think case people told me it's. A, I mean, you think you might even tell me, Jake? Is it like the third last? Case steam engine ever built, a fourth last or something like that.
0: Yeah, something. Yeah, something like that. Super. super and so that
2: great. that that's yeah. um, all very similar. Um, Baller numbered to all those little eighteens um, I was talking about. Plus, then up uh, you know there's other ones. You know, we've got because you've got a case roller you've just done
1: up there, Chris. haven't mm-hmm. you? Yeah, we just yeah, finished with it this year. <clears throat>
2: um, and there's a couple of case rollers here which oh, the plates are missing which is a bit of a as I said is, but they're both tandem compounds well
1: that's what I was going to say are both of them over there compound, in, compound uh, yeah. rollers I don't know that any of those survive here in the states or anything mm. Not that and I've so they're, they're
2: they're allowed again too they're,
1: as I said all we can go on is the boiler numbers because those silly
2: tags just sort of rot off but mm-hmm. um, 24347 you know so you know, they're all real light stuff. So we just must have got this big batch of, um, you know, new but mm-hmm. uh, unwanted engines that were shipped out here.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Well, you got to think ni- nineteen twenty four. I mean, heck, you could get a John Deere D in twenty four, sure. You know, I mean, twenty four. Steam stuff was really starting to dwindle away. So the manufacturers that were real successful, they had, you know, still had a stockpile of stuff that essentially they had to had to get rid of and. Ultimately, Case, they did the same as everyone else. They started building those kind of smaller combustion tractors, and that's ultimately the way that the farming industry went. Farming really took a turn at that point. Yeah. Mm, yeah
2: and they just um, parked up the steam. So, I mean, yeah, you said 24 is pretty late, but, yeah, they, at least they saw the sign and, and got yeah. out, whereas you know, other other mobs kept, sort of, especially English companies, they kept sort of building later and later, and then they nearly, a lot of them went bust because they d- didn't see the light early enough. And at least Case <laughs> clearly did
0: how, how I guess, how late did some of those English manufacturers build engines? Did they build them up into the 30s?
2: Yeah, d- definitely. Yep. Yeah. I mean, they weren't you know, selling huge numbers by then, but they, they were. We didn't get heaps real late. Like, the I think the last steam wagon we got in Australia was about 27, say, but they were still building into the mid 30s um, in England, but they just died real quick, like in Australia, they, they, from 21 through to. Twenty seven, And then it was just nearly like overnight, they said, and no more. But um, we got a few late model steamrollers. It's a few 1925-ish traction engines came here. Um, a lot of councils were, were buying traction engines um, for, you know, just general road maintenance, pulling wagons and driving rock crushes, that sort of thing. Um, and then a few, you know, were unsold. Instead of but then when when the onset of um Second World War coming, uh, those dark clouds, then um yeah, councils either hang on to their engines or even you know all of a sudden the Welsh power and the Fowler agent had the Fowler sitting there, no one would buy it, and then yeah, then a council went and nabbed that, thought we'll just grab that, um, so we'll have some known power during the during the war. We can we can burn wood as opposed to you know um, yeah. fuel rationing. Um, it's hard to get tra- tractors and, and whatever running, so we'll just r- Have an traction engine
1: up as well. So, yeah, definitely. I mean, there's like Kitten uh, was a manufacturer here uh, in the United States. I mean, they build engines up into the what was it, Jake? Like the late twenties, early thirties, or something. Basically, as a thrashing uh, track uh, steam engine, you know.
0: Uh, Yeah, and I don't. I think Baker didn't Baker build engines till like twenty seven or twenty nine or something. And And Kitten uh, was a pretty late company
1: too. And I'm not really. I don't really know, I guess, uh, who proposed the need for it and why they, why they came about, you know, to, to be just a thrashing thing, why they didn't go with tractors or why they thought there was a need for it or whatever. I'm not sure, but, uh, it definitely seems like the steam was era was pretty dead by that point here. Yeah. yeah, I Uh, guess there was
2: enough people still wanted to borrow them though. So they had a bit of a
1: market. Sure.
0: Well, I guess in a sawmill, Mm -hmm. like a sawmill there, you know, Chris and I both. Sawed with with steam and gas. I mean, there's there's nothing like sawing with steam engines. Sure. I mean, you you can't hardly put a, a gasoline tractor of, of really any any sort. Or I mean, I guess I've never sawed with like a six seventy one Detroit or something like that. But to put a to put a steam engine on the end of a sawmill, I mean, it's just night and day difference versus sawing with a you know a really gasoline tractor of some sort. So. I would think that uh, if you were running a sawmill still in the 30s, you would have rather preferred a steam engine. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Gas and, tractor just from power. Yeah. And slab would
1: be in readily mm-hmm. available. I remember Stanley Mayberry talking about, I believe it was his uncle saw him with a cat 60 and man, they were saying that they, you know, 55 gallons worth of gasoline wouldn't even make it through a day. You know, uh, that'd be quite an oh, expense yeah. back then versus running a steam engine, you know?
2: Yeah, you know having the offcuts, you know,
1: basically firing for
2: free. That's that's a great great idea. Just yeah, as time went by, um, getting a getting a bloke to run it and, and that sort of thing. So you can see where diesel sort of took over, but steam hung on for a fair while. in the sawmills definitely.
0: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So do you do you get engines out on a kind of regular basis there and run them around the farm, or what do you do with all your engines?
2: Um, yeah, well, dad's, you know, he's handy, so he's got his couple of steam, he's got a, a Sentinel steam truck and a Yorkshire steam bus, so, uh, well, it was a truck, but when, he, he it was stored from a wreck, so he put a bus body on it to be a bit more practical, because as I said earlier, you know, I'd ride in the back of the steam, his abling Porter, port and then the Sentinel, and I'd be getting covered in sparks, so when dad did this third steam truck, he thought, well, there's got to be a better one. Wa- way and so we built this bus body on so that's that's good fun um we do just oh they taken taking it to different places further afield um but we just do a lot of little runs and, and this time of year like so you'll be going into your autumn or we're going into our spring it's just a, you know this, the weather's good so um because when it's summer it's too hot we create bushfires so that's no good in winter it's you know too wet and you'll get bogged so autumn and spring yeah we get out and about. So um, dad's got a few little um, shows, just local things. You know, Wang, at a show, um, a local agricultural show. We'll be taking to that and uh, a bit of a – we're in a ski club and he's got a bit of a gathering. Um, he'll be taking that to that. Um, he's looking at another little uh, show and shine sort of truck show um, at Eroa if he can um, get himself sorted with transport. But And otherwise, yeah, just we grab the um, – pull the traction engines out and not all, not every one of them, but, um, just drive around a paddock and get some portables out and, um, just have a bit of fun, sort of stay local, get, get people to come and visit.
1: Sure. Sure. Yeah. That's, uh, sometimes people just come to visit small little things are sometimes a lot better than the shows. You know, I know it is for us sometimes, uh, small little gatherings and one thing and another, you know,
0: oh, that's yeah, it was just, sort of. T-
1: sure.
2: Yeah, that's it. it takes the headache out of the whole transport thing for a start, doesn't it? Sure.
1: Well, when you got the steam wagon there, you can drive it to shows. I'd say how how far do you usually take it away from home? How, what's the farthest you guys ever been with one of those?
2: We um, had a good run one time because it sometimes with the you know, coal firing, you never know whether you're going to have a good good run or a bad run um, mm-hmm. for some reason. But yeah, I went up to chess hunt, which is probably what Would it be seventy uh, k away mm-hmm. up there and back in a day um had a real good run on the way back and um but yeah, I mean you, there's different ones that uh, that other people have a geared higher and you know you can do do a whole lot more, but yeah, so I mean Wang ain' to say twenty k away, so often do a um in there for the show and then just come home again, and it's all pretty you know it's an hour to get in there and, and an hour to get home, so
0: mm-hmm.
2: it's just just um nice that way. And, the, it's just actually a really good way of seeing the countryside you know you're sitting sure. up high but, oh, yeah. but yeah. you're doing 20k an hour so you can just really see what's you know taking the um nature and see what's happening it's good
1: fun sure are they much of a bear to drive is it, a, is it a one-man deal or do you is it basically a two-man deal or how does all that work
2: yeah pretty much always two, two people yeah
1: so the the the, the bloke who's driving it
2: so yep he's steering and got the controls and then the fireman and which the fire firing part of it is actually the funnest part because that's where you got to really think about it you know um are trying cuz you're just manipulating as with any engine um you know you, you you water feed your coal and your um and your damper and
1: mm-hmm.
2: um you're just trying to maintain that um red line um yeah i really really like firing it's good fun
1: sure that'd be different you you know it's like we sit here and think of of plowing or going into a log when you're sawing or whatever but you're sitting there watching the road sign of uh, i guess what big hill you got going up and everything else you know and i'm sure (laughs) knowing your terrain probably helps as you go and one thing or another
2: yeah it does i mean where we live it's pretty flat so it's
1: actually pretty easy really but um
2: this this steam um wagon that dad built into a bus it went new to tassie um and it ended up in Victoria back in working day. And then, um, like was a funny little story, they went to a storm or someone thought, oh, yeah, well, best way to, uh, like we are talking before, about free, free fuel, yep. Yeah? Um, we'll haul um, logs with uh, a steam truck. Yeah, all well, good, good idea. But they found out that, yeah, they're meant to burn coal, aren't they? Coal's got a better output than wood. So um, it was no good at all. So it was all pulled apart um, and, and just scrapped and, and bits and pieces used around various farms, and Dad found a bloke who, who pulled it apart um, in the 60s, or uh, he might have pulled it apart in the 50s, but Dad tracked him down. It would have been early 70s, Dad tracked this fella down, and he told him, uh, I think it was about five different places that he'd sold all parts off to. So Dad went to all these places, and he, he couldn't buy the parts, but he had to swap them something. And so, anyway, he ended up with, um, with all, all of these Bits and got it restored, but there was a, a big rally in, in Australia. We have a national rally that's held every two years mm-hmm. and it's generally in a different state and, and they're quite good fun. And there was one in Tassie about, I don't know, what it was now, eight years ago perhaps, and a bit of um, sponsorship for transport um, and, and Dad took the um, Yorkshire back to to Tassie. You know, would have, wouldn't have would have been there since the 20s. So that was really good, but they're yeah, quite hilly there, Um Compared to our flat country here, so it was really challenging um, to keep it in steam and you know charging up and down these hills that they had over there. But yeah, it was good fun. It was really sort of putting it through its paces.
0: What do they have for? What to... Go ahead, Jake. I was going to say, what you talk about steam keeping steam up on it. What do you guys you guys run bar over there? So what I guess what steam pressure would that equate to? Oh
2: no, no, we're not bar. We're psi, same as you guys.
0: Oh, you oh oh, you guys do okay. What, so what does
2: yeah, that, yeah. so, uh, that steam bus run at? Uh, well, so dad built a new. So dad built a new boiler for it. He had um two original boilers. Well, I think one was, hmm, I think it was one it was two hundred that they updated. One was uh, made nineteen twenty two, and then one was nineteen twenty three. So it was two fifteen, and then so uh, two hundred, and then two fifteen. But both boilers were a bit was not quite good enough, you know. Had a bit of wastage here and a bit of wastage there. So Dad um, built a brand new all welded boiler and he put it to two fifty pound. Um, oh wow! And that, yeah, and that it really makes it makes a difference. That extra, you know, whether it is thirty five or fifty pound, whatever.
1: Is that a compound engine that's in that then? It is. Yep. Yeah. 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 That seems um, to be quite a bit more common for the the stuff that was built in the UK and stuff like that. So I, I it seems like the higher steam pressure, of the compounds like that a lot better
2: yeah it is generally with the traction engines though generally all um you know anything that was doing major haulage sort of thing would be a, a compound mm-hmm. um just being you know double crank and all um but the very there was very few twin cylinder things it was early on um you know in the sort of 1850 fifties, 70s 80s but then they got out of when compound became a thing and from the 1880s they pretty much never built a, a two-cylinder job um in, in a traction engine portables were two cylinder for a long time, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, the steam steam wagons. It depends. They, there's two different types of steam wagon: uh, uh, one with a vertical boiler inside the cab, or one with a locomotive boiler. Um, and and the locomotive boiler one was just like a small traction engine, so it would be a compound. But the, the one with the vertical boiler, they had an engine, an enclosed engine, slung under the um, sort of the sh- behind the cab under the, in the chassis there. And and a lot of them, the yeah, Sentinel. They were the most common under type, as they're called, with that engine under the chassis. And they were a two cylinder thing. You know, they just kept it simple, and and they're quite robust. And they, you know, they were a really good thing. And they were the, they were sold the most wagons in Australia with the Sentinels.
1: So, are they all direct drive to the axle then, or is there any kind of transmission or anything, or? Uh,
2: Sentinels, as I said, they stayed pretty basic. So they just were the ones we got here. They, they did. Add gears later on and, and in England, but we never got them. But the, the standard sentinel, the first model, the super sentinel, they were just – there was no neutral. If you if you opened the throttle, you went forward. Sure. You know, So yeah. they yeah. were just direct. But um, Foden, say, so they were the over-type, so they were the ones that had the, like the locomotive boiler and long chassis. And they had chain drive to the – well, they were pretty much chain drive, but this long chain drive, they had a counter shaft, so they had two or three spe- speeds, much like a traction engine. You just you know spur gears, you did slide mm-hmm. on the crankshaft, um, and then let's say Leyland's they built steam trucks, so they had um a two a two cylinder engine with a two speed enclosed gearbox, so you, you could have a neutral,
1: sure. And I assume some sort of braking mechanism of some kind, too.
2: Um, yeah, they generally all you know, being a truck, they had um, you know, um, brake shoes, brake drums on the back axle,
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, but yeah, mm-hmm. obviously, you could use the um reverse lever as you'd. As you'd braking if you needed to too
1: sure it seems like most english engines had a break of of some sort uh, from what i remember you know which is pretty uncommon for american-made stuff you know i mean there's a few manufacturers that had it uh but not very many
2: mm. yeah and no, i they, they did did have a, a not so much a you know pull you up real quick break mm-hmm. that the, the pommy stuff would have but more um yeah, you know, slow you up coming down the hill, or more of a park brake. Yeah, you'd sure. you'd wind a handle, and a, it'd pull a wood, um, you know, wooden brake shoes on a, on a some sort of either rim inside the um the rear wheels, or even a, a little drum on a counter shaft.
1: Sure,
0: sure. That sounds like you and me need to buy one of these things, Chris.
1: <laughs> I think we just need to go visit Andrew and go from there, get it fixed for oh, a there. Man. Yeah, that, <laughs> that, that, that's even better.
2: <laughs> That'd be the thing to do. Yeah, come at. For a visit and um, yeah, come for a run.
1: Sure, yeah, that'd be neat. That'd be neat. So yeah, and, and same to you. If you, if you come this way, we'll give you the grand tour. If you're ever in our area or whatever, you know, and show you around what we can show you.
2: Mm, yeah, no, it's on the it's on the card. I just uh, got to get um, all ducks in a row. But yeah, hopefully in the next sort of few years, I'll be able to come over and visit a few shows like that. Dad, Dad spent a few few years. Um, he went to. Oh, it was a bit, bit random how he got to know the guys at the Will County um, rally, so he's he's been over there two or three times and um, been to a few shows in the last sort of 20 years, but, yeah, I need to get over there myself.
1: Sure. Oh, yeah. Well, I'd say we'll uh, fix this up for today. Uh, definitely would like to have you on here again because I feel like we didn't really touch on everything that we've talked about. Uh, leading up mm-hmm. to this, but uh, we really appreciate you reaching out and, uh, and doing this with us. And uh, it was definitely our first, we, we've, ha- we've had, a ever since we started this podcast, we definitely wanted to get people outside of the United States. And uh, it was great to hear from you and, and wanting to do this and, and give us your touch of history on uh, what you've been around and uh, with American engines and, and English engines and all that kind of stuff.
2: Mm, yeah. I know. Whereas I've like listened listening to your podcast and I just thought, um, yeah, Australia's a pretty unique place that we had a lot of um American engines here. So it'd be interesting for your listeners, um, mostly your American listeners, I'm guessing, to um see what what we had in Australia.
1: Sure, sure. Yeah, I think I I don't I, I'm sure that I'll hear from several people saying how they uh, enjoy this episode and just hearing something different and and all that kind of stuff. So hopefully uh, we can uh, keep your interest sparked on listening to the podcast about uh, basically more more so American engines than anything else, and uh, you know keep up the listens.
2: Yep, yeah, yeah, no problem there. Yeah. Well thanks for having me, fellas, and we'll um talk again.
1: Yeah, that sounds great. Thanks for right thanks
0: on. for being on here. Okay. Thanks, All you, right. See you. This is great. Yeah, Bye. take care, bud.